I just sense the Spirit of God in this room. Amen, church. And uh, yes, let's give him praise. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, instrumentalists. And thank you, singers, for leading us in such wonderful praise and worship. Well, if you've got your copy of God's Word this morning, uh, your individual Bible or your smart device, I'm going to invite your attention to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 7 this morning. Now that's on page 569 in my Bible. I don't know if that helps you uh, find it or not. But we're going to be thinking together today around this theme. Don't stay silent when you've got good news. I want to give you a little bit of background of this text before we stand in honor of it and read it together. This story that we're going to unpack today and seek to use in a way that will apply to our Christian experience occurs during the ministry of Elisha, whom you know followed Elijah. The year is about 848 BC. This story takes place in the northern kingdom. Now, you know, after Solomon, the kingdom divided. There's the southern kingdom of Judah with Jerusalem as the uh, capital. And then there's the northern kingdom of Israel with Samaria as the capital city. So this event happens there in Samaria. Samaria is under siege. Because of the wickedness of God people, God's people, when you read through Scripture time and again, God raises up a foreign army to come in and exercise judgment on his own people. That was what was happening. The Syrian army uh, had come. Some translations call them the Arameans. That's a more ancient word, but it, it's the army of the Syrians. They've laid siege to the city. They've cut off the food supplies. There is a famine going on in the city. No food. And Elisha prophesies a strange thing. When he says, by this same time tomorrow, you're going to be able to buy all the food you could ever want at bargain basement prices. That's basically what he says. When all they had to eat, when you read the scripture, is the heads of donkeys and the droppings of doves. They were even practicing, if you go back to chapter 6, cannibalism. Things had gotten so bad. But the siege is about to be lifted. There's going to be all that they would need to eat and drink, as I said, at bargain basement prices. And there are going to be some very strange, unexpected messengers who will discover that good news and ultimately tell it. And we learn from them, I believe, this lesson. Let's don't be silent when we've got good news. In honor of the Word of God, I'm going to ask you if you would to stand. As we read together, I'll read out loud and you follow along silently. Again, we're in 2 Kings chapter 7. We begin here with verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. This is the gate of the city of Samaria. 
And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come. Let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight, starting to get dark, to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Thank you, folks. And you may be seated. I have a personal friend whose name you might know, Dr. J. Strack. He was a well-known evangelist in Southern Baptist life for many, many years. He is the founder and the president of Student Leadership University. Brother Brandon, you may know of Jay. He takes young people from all over the country, and he trains them to be Christian leaders. Jay once told this story that I want to begin this message with about a time when he was leading a group on a tour of the Holy Land. They were there in Israel, and he happened on this trip to have an Arab guide. And Jay was doing his best to witness to his Arab guide to share Christ with him. And after a while, the, the guide was a little perturbed and really kind of let it be known that he had had enough of that. And Jay told him, he said, man, listen, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just sharing this with you because I love you, and I want you to go to heaven with me. And that Arab guide got quiet for just a moment. And then he said to Jay, Jay, I want to apologize to you because I understand now that you just did not want to commit the sin of the desert. And Jay said, boy, I sure don't. That sounds bad. What is it? And his guide said, Jay, the sin of the desert 
is when somebody knows where water is, but will not tell anybody else. Folks, I stand before you today to just remind you that I believe that there are going to be millions of Christians who will stand before a holy God one day having to confess the sin of the desert. That they never one time in their lives shared with people about the living water, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how all of our human thirst can be satisfied and quenched in Him. Do you know studies have shown that 98% of all Christians have never in their life led a single person to Christ? And here's a real tragedy, 90% have never even tried. Dr. Tom Rayner, who for years headed up Lifeway Christian Resources said something that startled me out of his research, and it is this, that only 2% of members in our churches will, over the period of an entire year, even invite somebody to come to church, when the statistics also show that 75% of unchurched people will come if they get an invitation, by the way, and if that invitation includes this, I want you to come and sit with me. Beloved, these things ought not to be. We ought not to stay silent when we've got good news. I want you to note this one statement there initially on your listening guide by way of introduction. It is this, with the, with the discovery of something that others need, comes the responsibility of sharing it. When you discover what others need, there's a responsibility to share it. I want to ask you, if you're a Christian this morning, have you made a discovery? Friends, somewhere along the line, you discovered how to miss hell and make it to heaven. Amen? You discovered how to have your sins forgiven. You discovered, I trust, the riches of the abundant life. Therefore, you have a responsibility, as do I, to share it. I heard many years ago when I was a much younger man this great definition of evangelism. And it is this, that evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Friends, that is exactly what's going on in this story that we just read. These four leprous men made a discovery. And with that discovery came a responsibility to share it, but initially they did not share it. They committed the sin of the desert. I would call it the sin of silence. But I want you to note this second introductory statement, and it is this. In the story of the four lepers, we can see four stages describing the Christian experience. And so that's what I want to do here for the next hour and a half. No, I'm just kidding. But what I want to do, I want to unpack this story and I want to lift it up to a higher plane and I want us to try to make spiritual applications as we look at four stages that these men were in. And let me just say this. I believe as we examine this text, you're going to see where you are in these progressive stages. So let's dig in. Number one, I want you to note what I call the sitting stage. And here is a sad truth. 
we may be complacent. When the curtain rises on these four lepers in this story out of 2 Kings 7, they're sitting outside of the city gate. What's going on inside the city of Samaria? Famine, starvation, cannibalism, people dying. Just across the way is the camp of the Syrians. And as we read, God has run them off. He's made them hear this sound like chariots and horses. And they think, man, the Hittites are coming and the Egyptians are coming. And they had run off and they had left all the food and drink and riches behind. But these lepers had no way of knowing that. And so I want you to get the picture. Here's where they are when the story begins. They are sitting just outside of death, but they're not all the way over to the riches that the Lord has provided for them. Does that remind you of any Christians you know? Sitting outside of death, we've been saved, we've punched our ticket to heaven, but we've not moved on to the riches that God has provided for us in the abundant life. We would do well, church, to ask ourselves, why are we just sitting here? Are we going to just sit here till we die? I've discovered in my ministry many, many times people are sitting in various areas. For example, when it comes to working for the Lord. When jobs are going undone in the church, when a few people are burdened down, carrying a heavy load, doing more work than maybe they should, the attitude of far too many is, you know, I'm just going to sit this out. Cynthia and I were driving along a few years ago, and we came to this intersection. We stopped at the red light. And Cynthia said, oh, look at that. That's just awful. I can't believe that. So you know how we are, guys. We're like, where, what, you know? And right there on the corner was a church, and there was a big church sign out front. And on that marquee were these words, wanted, colon, pew sitters. My beautiful bride said to me, boy, that's the last thing in the world we need, that we would want pew sitters. Church, we ought to declare war on pew sitting, or in your case, chair sitting, here in the house of God. Far too many are sitting it out when it comes to working for God. Hey, listen, if you're not moving on in your Christian experience, if you feel stuck, I've got a suggestion. Find a ministry. Go to work for King Jesus. Far too many people are sitting when it comes not only to working for the Lord, when it, but when it comes to witnessing for the Lord. Folks, we got people in our church that one day they walked an aisle, they shook a preacher's hand, and he said to them, please be seated, and they mistook that for the Great Commission. And they've been sitting ever since, not intentionally building relationships with lost people, not trying to share their story, not getting around to sharing the gospel, sitting. Many people are sitting when it comes to walking with the Lord. If we could see them, spiritually as the Lord sees them, they might look like spiritual lepers, blistering sores of apathy and complacency and laziness, limbs wasting away because of disuse, starving to death spiritually 
wanting to be spoon-fed. They, maybe some of us, need to ask ourselves, why are we sitting until we die? Can I give you two reasons out of our story? One is this. We may be sitting in one of these areas spiritually complacent because we do not know what is already ours in Christ. We may not really understand the abundant life. Friends, hear your interim pastor say this to you this morning. Christianity is not a concentration camp. It's a banquet. It's a feast. It's a party. I'm telling you, God has a wonderful table spread for us. On that table are pitchers of power and platters of peace and jars of joy and dishes of delight and ladles and ladles of love. And we can have the gems of His grace and the garments of His glory and the silver of satisfaction in him we just don't know it's there for the taking just like the lepers didn't know here's something else why do we sit here till we die friends we may be afraid of an enemy that's already defeated amen i mean the syrian army had already been defeated god took care of that and i'm telling you friends when you come to the word of god you're going to discover this about the great enemy of your soul satan he is a defeated foe As Richard said, we read the back of the book and we win. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And there's nothing that the devil in this world can throw at us that will defeat us because we are more than conquerors. It's time to quit playing it safe. It's time to get out of the sitting stage marked by complacency. So we need to move to this second stage. I want you to note, secondly, the seeking stage and we should be compelled here these four lepers were finally overcome with some glorified common sense here's what they said guys if we go into the city we're going to die if we sit here we're going to die If we go over to the camp of the Syrians, we're probably going to (laughs) die. But probable death beats certain death. Let's go for it. Let's just go and let's throw ourselves on the mercy of the Syrian army. If we die, we're just going to die. But we're going to die anyway. You see, what moved them is that which needs to move us, church, and that is the desperation of the hour. They said, why are we going to sit here and stay right where we are until we die? And folks, if we stay put in our Christian experience, I'm going to tell you, there'll be death. Now, we're not going to die eternally. I know that. We're eternally secure. We're going to heaven. But friend, your joy can die. Your sense of satisfaction can die. Your sense of purpose can die can die your power can die i'm telling you spiritually you you'll dry up churches can certainly die god give us a holy hunger to get into the seeking stage to be compelled to move forward to what you have provided for us and lean into this great promise friend when we seek we will find amen 
We love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, where the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But friend, you don't know what that welfare is. You don't know what that hope is. You don't know what that future is or how to get it till you go two more verses down. In Jeremiah 20, 13, when he says, and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. Friend, if you've sought the Lord and hadn't found him, either you've made him out to be a liar or you've not sought him with all your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be what, friends? Filled. They shall be satisfied. Can you picture that first leper? He goes up to the camp. He just sees donkeys and horses. Doesn't see any soldiers. And with his leprous, trembling hand, he pulls back the tent flap on that first tent. There's nobody there. But laid out is a spread. All he could ever want to eat or drink. Goes to another tent, same thing. There's jewelry. There's garments. God had intervened, had worked a miracle, and they literally hit the mother load. They became the fantastic four. They went from leprosy to luxury just like that. And friends, I want to tell you, it is exactly the same way with us. When we are compelled, when we seek we will find. We'll find all the treasures and all the riches of the Christian life. But if we're not careful, we may move into this third stage. I want you to look at it. I want you to note the selfish stage. There's a takeaway. We may become callous. That is hardened, insensitive. Verse 8 tells us that they ate and drank and carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid them. And they went to another tent, and they did the same thing. It's hard for us to blame them. I mean, for the first time in their lives, they're living like kings. They're gorging themselves on the food. They've got all they would ever want to, to eat and drink, but for just a moment, they forgot what was going on in Samaria. They forgot that back in the city, people were starving, people were dying. People had nothing to eat but donkey head burgers with dove droppings for condiments. I know that's gross, but that's what the Scripture says. And how is that a picture of us? Listen carefully. Every bite of food that they ate. Every one of those garments that they took and hid in the tents, every piece of gold or silver was provided by the grace of God. They didn't fight one battle. They didn't kill one enemy soldier. They didn't pay for one slice of bread. They didn't earn any of the gold or silver all those men could say is what you and I must say about the treasures of the Christian life. God did it. God did it. God intervened. 
And folks, I'm telling you, we've got all we could ever want to eat in the bread of life. We've got all we could ever want to satisfy our thirst in the living water. We've got the gold of His grace. We've got the silver of His satisfaction and the gems of His glory. I just want to tell you, it is selfish for us not to share that good news. We prove that we are callous. Can I tell you something, friends? Not to share the gospel contradicts every principle of Christianity. When we are selfish with our Savior, when we are greedy with the gospel, do you think that all of redemptive history ended when you got saved? That God wants to take you to a solitary heaven? No, no. When he saves you and leaves you here, it's because he wants you to share that good news with somebody else. I thought Christianity was supposed to make us less selfish. I thought Christianity was supposed to make us more Christ-like. Christ himself said this was his mission in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And if that Jesus is living inside of you, then, friend, I promise you this, your heart's desire is going to be the same thing, to see the lost be sought out and saved. How dare we be selfish with this good news? But let me tell you, selfishness, not sharing, always brings trouble. You look again there at verse 9, they said, if we're silent and wait till morning light, punishment will overtake us. We don't know what they meant. Maybe they meant the Syrians might show back up, kill us. Maybe they meant the people in Samaria will find out, and boy, we'll be in big trouble. Maybe they thought God would be displeased with them, and so they're going to be in trouble with the Lord. But folks, I want to tell you something. There's a built-in punishment there. There's always trouble when we're callous and when we're selfish with good news. For one thing, we'll lose our power. Are you listening? We'll, we'll lose our power. We looked at that verse last week, Acts 1-8. The Lord Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. Friends, if you are not going to be a witness, God's not under any obligation to give you His power. Our Christian faith is the only thing I know of that grows stronger and stronger the more we give it away. Punishment will overtake us. We'll dry up spiritually. Here's something else. We'll lose not only our power, we'll lose the, the joy of a reaper. Beginning next Sunday, we're going to have three sermons based on the harvest and about reaping souls for Jesus. Folks, you don't want to go to heaven empty-handed. You don't want to lose the joy of seeing somebody saved through your witness, through your testimony, through your prayers, through your giving. You don't want to lose that in the here and now. You let somebody get saved and you had a part in it, friend, you'll have a hallelujah fit. Amen? But also, when you get to heaven, it's going to be more glorious than you can ever imagine when you feel a tug on your white robe and you turn around and somebody says, here I am. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Because of your testimony, because of your witness, because of your lifestyle, because of your prayers, because of what you gave, here I am, I made it to heaven. You don't want to go to heaven empty 
handed. In this life and in the life to come, you'll lose the reaper's joy. So, I highly recommend that you move to stage four. I want you to notice it. Note the sharing stage. We must become convicted. Boy, these four lepers did. I love verse 9 when they said, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. I've got a question. Is this day, the day in which we live, is it a day of good news? I know there's a lot of bad news. We look at what's going on in the world. We look at what's going on terrorism we look at what's going on in, in Israel in the war we look at rampant crime and immorality in our own country and can we say it's still a day of good news friend absolutely yes Paul said it this way Romans 5 20 where sin abounded grace did much more abound can I tell you there's never been a more exciting time to share the gospel than in these dark days in which we live you know what a jeweler will do if he wants to show off some jewelry, a bracelet or, or a ring or, or a necklace? He'll put those on some black or, or dark velvet. And against that dark background, they just pop. They just shine more brilliantly. And friends, the, the gold and the silver of the gospel, of the treasures of the kingdom, I believe shine all the more brightly against the dark backdrop of what's going on in our world. We need to be moved by the glory and the grandeur and the greatness of the gospel. But we also need to be moved and compelled and convicted to go and to tell because of the urgency of the hour. People are dying. People are starving spiritually. That's why these men finally said, we must go and tell. I love that. Verse 9, let us go and tell the king's household. Friend, if you were to reduce the great commission of Jesus to two words, it'd be those two words, right? Go and tell. Can I tell you, sadly, most of our outreach efforts in the church have been reduced to two other words. Come and hear. Come and hear our preacher. Come and hear our, our music. Come and hear our, our guest evangelist. Come is the opposite of go. Here is the opposite of tell. Have we suddenly reversed the Great Commission? Friends, I hope that you live a, a godly Christian life. I hope that you let your light shine. But as I understand the Gospels, we have not shared a New Testament witness until we've opened our mouth and told it. Verse 10, it was told they called out to the gatekeepers and told them verse 11 the gatekeepers called out and told it and it was told within the king's household i dropped by today to ask are you telling it i dare say we are sitting on the good news really the best news anybody could ever hear how to make it to heaven and how to have the treasures of the abundant life in the here and now. Hear this preacher. You can't stay silent when you've got good news. Amen. I want to close with this story. It's a story I heard personally from Dr. D. James Kennedy. You may know that name. Dr. Kennedy 
pastor of the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for years and years. He's the one that came up with Evangelism Explosion, EE. I went down there in the mid-80s to be trained in Evangelism Explosion to lead our church in that outreach program. And Dr. Kennedy actually taught a few of the sessions. So great to sit at his feet. And in one of those sessions, he told this story I'll never forget. It was about a man named Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce was the founder of the ministry World Vision. You may have heard of that ministry. By the way, Bob Pierce also founded Samaritan's Purse that Franklin Graham now runs. Bob Pierce is the man who had written in the flyleaf of his Bible, may, I, may, may my heart be broken by those things that break the heart of God. Dr. Kennedy told of the time when Bob Pierce went to a hospital for lepers in South Korea, a leprosarium. And the chief surgeon there was giving him a tour, and he said, now, Brother Bob, we've got this one wing where, where the worst patients are. And on the very end of this wing, there's a man in the room. I want to take you down there to meet him. He's the worst of the worst. But I want to tell you, he's a Christian. I want you to see what happens. So Bob Pierce said, let's go. They walked down the hallway, went into the room. Now I want you to get the picture. Here was a man lying in a bed. He could not stand because leprosy had robbed him of his feet. He could not speak because leprosy had rotted away his tongue. He could not see because leprosy had taken his eyes. He could not hear. He was deaf because of leprosy. But he could sense vibrations in the room. And he wanted to be a witness. And so when he felt those vibrations, he knew somebody was in the room. He propped himself up in his bed on his elbow. And he grinned a toothless grin, and he looked out through blinded eyes, and he took that nub of a hand, and he pointed to heaven. And then he pointed to his heart, and he pointed to heaven, and he pointed to his heart, bearing witness to the one who stepped out of heaven into his heart and gave him joy and peace and forgiveness and a guarantee of a new body in heaven. When I heard that story, I thought, what's my excuse? What's your excuse? Could it be you'll stand before God one day with your excuses for why you kept the good news to yourself? If so, God may very well call that now healed leper from South Korea to stand before you. And now you tell God your excuses. Hey, he may call the four lepers of 2 Kings 7. Now tell your excuses. I want you to look at this last concluding statement. Very simply. If God can use lepers, he can use us. Amen, church family? Amen. That means you. That means me. Don't stay silent. When you've got good news, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In a moment, these folks are going to lead us in a song. I'm going to be standing here at the place of prayer. Brother Brandon is nearby, other staff members. If you're here today and you've never believed the good news and you've never been saved, 
Would you come take our hands? You want to be saved? Just say, I need Christ. We can take it from there. Or if you've trusted him, but you've not followed through a baptism yet, you come. We can schedule that. Or maybe you want to join this church, move your membership here. You come. Maybe you just want to come and have one of the pastors pray for you. I'll be glad to pray for you. Or you may want to kneel here at the place of prayer and just make an altar of your chair. Maybe just do some business with the Lord. Let's just obey him right now. Oh, God in heaven, would you forgive us? And we know you will, and you do. You already did. For our committing the sin of the desert, we know where there's water. We don't tell others. We, we know where there's bread, the bread of life, and we don't tell others. Forgive us when we just stay sitting. Move us to be seekers. Help us not to be selfish. Move us all the way to the sharing stage. May we be convicted as these men were that this is a day of good news and we cannot stay silent. So as we sing, would you have your way and give courage to those who ought to come. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Mm -hmm.